Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. Man, they, they blew out of this tree and there was what? There was at least eight Capricali and then there was at least five black grouse in there too. Two broods had like got pinched together by the dog and they, it was like Jake turkeys coming out of the tree, just like flying over our heads. Yeah, it was pretty cool actually. And I was, that, I, I couldn't film. I was just taking pictures and I couldn't, uh, it was so stupid, I couldn't uh, film. It's pretty crazy. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Last fall, I made the change to a finalized Summit System vest and was blown away with not only the customization and durability, but the overall functionality. I can honestly say my setup directly impacted how many miles I covered because the design eliminates shoulder fatigue and discomfort while still providing the perfect amount of storage. I appreciate the waist belt design so much that in the training season I removed the straps and swapped the game bag out for the sidekick system game bag, and I now have the perfect training belt set up for the long and hot training season. Go to finalrise.com and check out all the available options that are all sourced and sewn right here in the USA. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week we have two guests on the line. We have Kevin Erdveg and Miguel Canaverde. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Go ahead and introduce you yourself and uh, what it is that you do in the Upland space. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Kevin Erdvig. I'm a filmmaker, uh, the lead filmmaker for Project Upland. Um, so I do the vast majority of their films now um, are kind of either I'm shooting or I have my hands in in some way, either editing or producing. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. I've been now working for them for a couple years now, uh, but this is the most, the largest capacity that will be this year. Uh, so pretty much... Um, I'm, I spend my time traveling and uh, filming for them, and it's, uh, it's been a real treat so far. Fantastic. And any dogs of your own? Yes. I uh, have an English setter. Uh, he is one and a half. Okay. So this is his first, uh, first real season. Last year was a lot of fun, a lot of learning. And so this year, uh, we've been a little bit more trial by fire. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, sophomore season is always a blast. I'm sure we're, we're going to hear a little bit more about that at some point on this episode. Miguel, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody where you live and, and what you predominantly chase and uh, prefer to chase. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Miguel. Um, I'm originally from Portugal. Uh, I just moved to Sweden, uh, the north of Europe, uh, 10 years ago uh, due to the pursuit of birds, actually. Um, I've been hunting for... I can't remember now, but since very early age, um, in Portugal, of course, and I'm a huge uh, pointing dog enthusiast also. So I'm very involved with pointing dogs, uh, and I'm I'm by nature and my biggest passion is uh, chase wild birds. Um, I have had all these pointing dogs uh, right now, and for 15 years old now, I have I have uh, Braco Italianos. I have had um, I have had Ipanol uh, Breton. I have had German pointers. I have uh, had Irish setter also, and uh, yeah, but I'm stuck with the Bracos now. The weird. <laughs> so that, that there's a lot to unpack there. First off, Portugal to Sweden. That's that's obviously a clearly big jump, and like you just said, that you move there predominantly for for bird contacts. How did you fall in love with bird hunting down in Portugal? Has it always just been around in your life? Did you grow up with it? Kind of, uh, but I I I had this passion for dogs because my family was were breeding dogs for since since I was born for over forty years now. They're breeding dogs, so dogs were in my life as hunting also because my family was also hunting but they were hunting rabbits mostly and uh, some other uh, yeah mostly rabbits and i had passion for birds so all together hunting birds and dogs i ended up with pointing dogs and um, chasing wild birds since 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 very early age i've been i've had this passion for chasing wild birds love it so uh, what you just said that you've gone through a number of different breeds uh throughout the years and you've always had a passion what what was it about the Broncos that captured your attention um you know it's like i my my family breed dogs also for confirmation for dog shows but also hunting so i had these no these these uh, no not knowledge but this approach to all these different uh, components of dogs like field trials hunting and shows and i could see like the dogs i would i was checking i was seeing in the trials like the pointers i could see on field trials were different from the dogs on on dog shows and for the dog and they would then also hunt differently from the dogs i would see in the trials the dogs were hunting and that doesn't make sense for me but when i got in touch with the braco italiano i love the culture I realized that in Italy, the same dogs were in winning shows, were hunting, were field trials. That I got in love with that with that culture, and just digging in the the breed and everything uh, got stuck. Yeah, so it just fit for you, Kevin. What was it like? I know you just made a trip over there recently, which is what we're going to kind of talk about on this episode. What was it like going over there and seeing? Uh, predominantly Broncos running when you're used to your setter. Yeah. So I've actually, I've never watched a Bracco run. Um, so it was definitely a different experience. Um, and that was kind of hand in hand with just how different the terrain was than what I'm used to. And even the birds, uh, they were very, very different. They had some similarities to what I was used to here in the States, but, um, it was really cool to see, um, Chica, uh, the, his Bracco run. And, um, I had like preconceived notions about Broncos and it was cool to see, um, her kind of shatter, maybe some of those, uh, <laughs> she was, uh, she was a very athletic build, very 
driven dog and it was it was just a joy to watch her work fantastic and the way she she handled with miguel was just was just really cool that that bond that they had was pretty evident yeah and it was hard to break too we can get into that story but it was very hard to break that bond too <laughs> i was uh yeah it was a it uh she wasn't the big my biggest fan she wasn't my biggest fan oh, you know, okay. i gave her all the love and affection in the world and it just wasn't reciprocated we had one <laughs> there's one moment where miguel got like a little video on his phone halfway through the hunt she finally came over to me and let me pet her and it was it was a highlight it was the last minute of our it was the like I say, the hand minutes of our hunting, all the for the last minute, all the old days, mm-hmm. she went to you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> did you do something different to earn her respect, Kevin? Like, did you uh, put the camera down and shoot a bird for her or something? Uh, yeah, but she didn't. She didn't really care. She was on to the next. She was. She was. Uh, she's all business. All business. Uh, explain to me what you guys were chasing over there, because Miguel just said he just moved from Portugal to Sweden for these birds. You just flew to Sweden to hunt over a dog that you know, a dog breed that you've never seen to chase different bird species that you've never seen. What what birds are we chasing over there, and what what are the opportunities overall like over there? I needed to make a, a plan that would fit our logistic and circumstances also. Um, so we went firstly to, or we went to the first uh, mountains, um, let's say central Sweden. Um, and I'm saying this because they needed a different uh, approach than other areas more north that are more populated in birds and it's easier to find birds. So there I was actually, we were actually um, aiming for grouse, for black grouse, capricaylee, and eventually willow grouse, but we're not in the plan, but uh, we were fortunate. Um, and that, but especially what we call in Sweden, the forest grouse is um, black grouse and capricaylee. That was the, the, the main goal. Um, but everything could happen uh, according to the terrain. We could have found woodcock, we could have found uh, willow grouse, we could have found hazel grouse. Uh, so I tried to uh, go to the areas where we could actually get the most uh, amount of birds, but also diversity to to maximize this experience of Kevin. Without driving 12 hours. So you guys have a wide array of birds that you're after. So it's not like, uh, Kevin, did you just go there to mainly focus on the Capricali grouse or were you, you guys doing the the variety bag and the mixed bag, like the black grouse, the willow grouse, the woodcock. I'm interested in hearing the similarities between woodcock here versus there. You know, what what was your main objective or goal going over there? So the main objective was to tell Miguel's story for a uh, upcoming Project Upland film. So that was um, that was our goal going over. So with that in mind, we um, talking with Miguel, I was there for another work trip. So it happened to coincide. So it worked out. Um, so Woodcock was actually closed during, which I was a little bummed about because if you know Miguel and you follow him on social media, he is passionate about the Eurasian Woodcock. So I was a little bummed we couldn't capture that side of his story. But um, the only thing uh, that he's almost as passionate about is those forest grouse in the mountains. Um, so it was cool to capture that side of his story. And um and so that that was our goal. And uh, we don't we don't do a lot of overseas traveling for for uh, for our films. So this was this was a unique opportunity. It's a it's a little hard sometimes to get sponsor American sponsors to sponsor a uh, you know a European film. But for this one, we were just fascinated by you know Miguel, his story, his dog, and the and the birds. And we, and we thought this would be a, an interesting story to capture, and it was. Um, 
we got some incredible footage and it's going to be, it's going to be a really nice film. So all that, all that to say, our, our goal was to just be a fly on the wall on what, what it looks like to be out there with Miguel. So you're ultimately just trying to see what Miguel hunts and how he hunts and, and see what you guys come about. And why. And why, and why he hunts. And, and, you know, he reached out to me uh, a couple months ago before you you went there and uh, was, hey, are you interested in Capricali grouse? I'm like, absolutely. It's captured my imagination since I've gotten involved. You don't hear much about it uh, over here in America. And it's, for those that don't know, the Capricali grouse, you know, a lot of people get blown away with the size of our sage grouse here in America. And I recently just went to Montana and shot mine and I was it dumbfounded just how big they are compared to other species. Then you start looking into the Capricali grouse and it kind of puts the sage grouse size to shame how big they are. And some of the crazy YouTube videos, it's uh it's a bird that since you really learn about their existence, it's like, if you have any passion for the bird hunting, like you can't help, but be intrigued by it almost. So when Miguel reached out to me, absolutely, I jumped on it. And then he told me that you're going. I'm like, heck yeah, we're going to see some good footage on this. I'm really interested to talk and, and compare and contrast how the grouse hunting is over there to here. So Miguel, kind of walk us through what is your typical day in the woods like? You know, it, like Kevin just said, he's there to just kind of show your hunt and what, what it is that you do. Walk me through a typical day in the woods with you. Well, it depends actually the season. So I start season with uh, forest grouses uh, in the north of Sweden. And that's totally different from the woodcock uh, seasons in the southwestern of Sweden where I where I actually live. Uh, but if, let's go for, for, the, for the forest birds. Um, when, when I go up there, I usually like to go to terrain I haven't explored. So that's also the thing I like in, in on my hunt is is it's the is to the is to the challenge of of finding birds where I haven't been. It's a challenge for the dog, I think, because it's new terrain, the dog doesn't know where the birds are. It's uh, it's a challenge for me, and I like I love that part. It's a part of the chase and the challenge. So when I go up there, I try to do that. Um, and we we check we I, j- I just check the map and and I just trace a, a route that it feels it looks uh, positive and and just just go ahead um and uh, be lucky <laughs> so do all those species of grouse generally share the same type of cover or habitat over there or is it kind of like here to where each species kind of has their own preference and you can kind of target each individual species based on the type of cover or transition or cut that you're in well i would, I would say that willow grouse um, well, tarming and willow tarming or willow grouse, uh, and black grouse and copper and even hazel grouse, they can share more or less this, not the same, but you will, will um, okay, let's say black grouse and copper are really birds that like the forest. And the forest, I mean, uh, the taiga, the, the Siberian uh, pine forest, um, and that is composed by pine and spruce. Uh, when you get to altitude, and we will say from 500 meters high to 1,000, uh, you can really find then a willow grouse also. Perhaps it's not in the same biotope, but it's in the same area. But uh, biotope because, I mean, you can find willow grouse more in open space, uh, and the, the forest birds, the black and the copperhead and the hail grouse, they are more inside the forest. But you go through this because it's a, it's a, it's a, a kind of a mosaic 
the area that you go through and you find this, but you can go just for areas that is just forest, deep forest, and then you most probably will just find uh, black cross and copper kelly. But I try to go to these areas too. So I go for the mixed bag uh, most of the times. Focus maybe one or two species, but I, I, if I see that there's potentially a good area for a willow grouse there or for something else, I, I take a cut there and I go explore that. Um, but they, yeah, you can. We found with Kevin one day. I think we found black grouse, capercaillie, and and willow grouse in one day. Um, so yeah, you can find them, but it's still you need to know where to, to find them. Still, it's not just like go uh, anywhere. You need to. You need. They are very specific in the biotope in, inside your habitat. So so Kevin, kind of expand on that to me. Put it in terms of something that like I. I may have seen or or can relate to here in America. You know, he he mentioned pine and spruce. You know, obviously the the type of bird that comes to mind here would be the spruce grouse. Is it is that really the closest similarity uh, that we have here compared to what he just described? Um, so I actually chased spruce grouse just about two or three weeks ago up in Minnesota, and um, that was the first habitat I've seen in the states and i haven't been i haven't been everywhere i haven't been up to alaska which is what i assume is the closest to what it looked like over there in norway and sweden um but but yes is similar similar in some respects again i'm not a spruce grouse expert i have i don't know if you know where we were is you know ideal but we did find some um i don't know if it's the ideal habitat for them but the the big difference that i saw was age of the forest that we were looking for. And um, I was telling Miguel the whole time, I was like, none of this looks like rough grouse habitat. <laughs> it's not thick enough. It's not thick enough. So what what the, the similarity that there is, is definitely edges. So a lot of these birds are going out, Miguel, correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of these birds are feeding on the edges. And that's where a lot of those, they, uh, they feed primarily at least the time of year that we were there on uh, blueberries. Um, so they're, they're feeding on this edge where the blueberries are, but we, we found most of our birds in old forest. So it wasn't just old forest. It was almost where they couldn't cut because it was, um, uh, surrounded by, um, what would, what would that be called? The, the marsh, what would that be called? Like tundra? Yeah. It's a tundra marsh. It's like grass, yeah. uh, with moss and water. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was like, um, stems of forest going into the tundra marsh. Uh, and the older it was seemed to be where we found more birds. And really? we're talking like just big, big trees, um, very dense trees, but not stem density, not like rough grouse, like high stem density. Um, and every, every time I pointed at that to me, I said that that's where you would find a rough grouse. And he was like, well, that's not where we're going to find these birds. <laughs> um, so it was, it was very different hunting. And, um, uh, there was, it was, it was really wet and boggy. And there was also, um, a lot of like these, these, uh, not streams, but almost like brooks and they were like going in and out of the ground. And, uh, I mean, talk about moss, like you, you'd step and you'd go like, 12 inches down sometimes miguel had to pull me out of a mud pit once uh he'll have to he'll have to post that video on his uh instagram <laughs> it was pretty funny but i was i was like waist deep deep it was like the swedish version of quicksand um so it was it was i've, I've heard stories of people like caribou hunting in like alaska and stuff and they talk about how like hard it is to walk because you're just like sinking in sinking in to this like really marshy terrain and that's 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 what i assume and some someone that's been both places can probably tell me if that's that is what it's like over there but 
that's, that's what I imagined. Um, so it was just very different. Um, they, they do log up there. So it's like, uh, there are habitats that are like that. The other, the other thing that's really different too, is the, uh, there's, there's reindeer and they're herded, but like we, we'd see them in a lot of the spots we went and there was just like reindeer everywhere. And we got, actually got some cool footage of them and stuff. Um, and they're, they're herded by the indigenous people there. Uh, so, so it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. I, I'm trying to picture it. And like you said, you know, I keep, I'm predominantly a, a rough grouse hunter. That's my passion. So I'm trying to picture it. And when I, when I looked up videos or pictures to your point, Kevin, it was like completely different world is wide open forest. And I'm like, man, like this is something that you would completely avoid hunting here in the States after grouse. So it's kind of interesting that Miguel is saying that like, that's what, that's where you find them. That's what you prefer. And it's not just one species of grouse, but multiple species of grouse. Uh, it, it's kind of throwing my head for a loop almost because it's over here. All we do is preach stem density, early successional. You know, if you're, if you're not cut and bleeding, you're not hunting hard enough. And then you go over there and this is like wide open and, and you got grouse running with reindeer apparently. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say, would say wide open, but um, it depends a lot. In, in altitude, where we were, was clearly more open, uh, but still dense bush. It's like dense, um, uh, the blueberry bush. Fortunately, we had a lot because we feed a lot ourselves of blueberries. Uh, and it's quite, it's quite dense, and that's what, why the birds are there. And they, they open the blueberry in the end of the summer, uh, and they walk a lot also. So and, and Kevin was saying that they are found, and that's true, uh, a lot in the edges, it's because they also they they walk a lot in front of us, and there's there's where they stop walking, and there's where they flush, also. Um, but yeah, the edges are very good to find those birds between the the transition of the forest to the the marsh. Uh, you can find birds in going in from the marsh to the forest, or from the forest to the marsh. Depends the species, depends the time of the day, depends of the season. These are birds that. That's also uh, the place where you find them and how you search the terrain and what types of terrain depends a lot on the time of the year also. But yeah. So talk to me, if the, if it's in more open forest, like you said, there's still transition birds. You know, most birds are, they, they like the transition or edges. Uh, talk to me how they react to you and, and the dog pressure. Because if it's wide open forest, they can see you a lot sooner than what maybe the birds we see over here are they are they more prone to run or flush out early before you can get within range kind of talk to me about how they act once you guys get you know somewhat close to them i guess either, either they hold either they run and they will flush less less uh less option uh and these birds most of them they run and of course as as we go into the season, as they are chased more and more, chased by hunters and dogs, they run more and more. And so it, they are much more easier to, to hunt in the beginning of the season where the coveys are still together and they will hold a bit more, but still they are runners. They feel, they, they, they hear you very far away. They have huge, uh, how do you call it, in the ear, like eerie channels. And they hear you very, so I, I always hunt very silent. No beepers, no uh, big talk, um, no much noise around. So you can find birds that hold like hell. We had a situation like that, rightly remember, Kevin, with that young um, 
a juvenile, uh, I think you got it in video. That was pretty crazy. Some can hold like, but most of them, they, they walk a lot. And also the age of the birds uh, and the sex, the, the gender of the bird can also influence that a lot how they behave. All Capricelli males are usually solitaire and they run and they know the territory. And it's very, that's the, how do you call it, the growl of the birds? Well, it's a word. Uh, they, they are. That, are you talking about the hissing, the sound that the birds make when, the, when they're. Yeah, I mean, I mean that the, the adult males, the Capricelli adult old males, birds like over five, six, seven years old, those are the the big trophy because they walk a lot. They are very, very difficult birds to, to, to hunt. Uh, so it depends a lot of the season, depends a lot of the type of bird age and, 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 and gender also. So, um, yeah, and most of the times they walk and the dog needs to, needs to be a very careful dog. In my opinion, you need a dog that sends and guide you to the birds. And we have a lot of situations like that where Shika would sense the birds and start guiding us slowly. And that was the, for me, that's the best way to hunt these birds. Otherwise, if you have a very nervous dog that wants to point on body scent straight away, you might end up flushing birds too far away. If you have a too careful dog that's pointing all the time, all the time, you might, you might lose the, the birds also on time-wise because you spend a lot of time on the tracks so you need a dog that takes experience and know how to handle these these birds um in general there is there is also situations much easier very easy situations also but um i don't know if kevin agree from what yeah yeah i mean we never we never saw a big mature capricali um but there were times where miguel would say this is this is a big mature one that we're chasing right now. We we chase it. You know, you'll you'll get a you'll get rough grouse where you're you know you're following that grouse for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet. You know, till you're till you're finally on him uh, because a lot of times it like moves to an edge and then that's where you finally flush it. And so the best way I can describe like those big ones, which we didn't even end up flushing one was like, it was a long game. It could be like 10, 15 minutes of just yeah. slowly pointing, point and move, point and move, point and move, point and move. Um, so it was definitely, I could tell that, you know, it was a far different game than, than the younger uh, family groups that we were seeing, the broods. Um, and so that was definitely a, a pretty cool experience was, was trying to find those big ones. And, and you could tell, cause you know, they, you know, the rough grouse, they have their drumming logs, but there were, there were, there were similar signs of, uh, that, that Miguel could tell that it was like a larger, older, more mature bird. Yeah. And once you, once you have enough reps and experience on, on these birds, just like anything else, you, you can generally start kind of telling what it is before you see it just because of the actions, like, you know, like you're alluding to, uh, so on the Capricali, if you Google or YouTube that bird, you come across all of these crazy videos or pictures of them being super territorial uh, towards other people, cyclists, uh, whatever. I mean, there's even one video I saw to where two of them took on a golden eagle. Didn't really work out in their favor. But like, talk to me, like, is that year round or is that predominantly just around breeding season or are these birds really that territorial? Yeah, it's predominantly on the breeding season and goes from, it can go from February to end of the summer, but especially, you know, March, April, May, June, 
April, May, June, depending on the area also. But yeah, most of that time, but they also can start. Uh, and do, bir, birds that, the young birds that don't uh, are allowed to mate because they, they have like, um, how do you call it? Um, arena, they display the males, but just the strongest, maybe one or two males only will mate the females. Um, so there's a lot of birds that keeps the young birds keep that uh, all that hormone still, and they continue uh, very active uh, lo- along the summer. But it's not very very common. It's mostly during that that that, that breeding season. Mm-hmm. I have seen, uh, I experienced one one time a male like that in the middle of the road. I stopped the car, almost catch the bird. It's like crazy. I, but, I, a, uh, I was going to say I had a friend that told me. Uh, they were they were a little salty that I got to go over there and experience this, and they uh, rudely said, "I hope you get attacked by a capitalist," <laughs> and then sent me a video of one like taking out a small child who was cross country <laughs> skiing. I won't name drop. <laughs> that, I mean, it's like some of those videos are crazy, man. Like any listener out there, like man, uh, like are they really that territorial? Go Google them or YouTube them. Uh, I mean, they legit throw punches i mean they just i mean they just flap and punch the mess out of it it's 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 just a very neat bird uh to watch it uh, it almost doesn't look real it looks like a fake bird in a lot of ways uh and it's just crazy like i i still i'm looking forward to the video kevin i i hope that we got like a good point on one of these crazy birds uh because i'm still trying to picture a pointing dog pointing a a bird the size of a turkey, essentially, or even bigger than a turkey in a lot of ways. I think the best situation we didn't got on video, did we? With a I would say the best situation is when I had the gun in my hand. Unfortunately, yeah, that's was. that's and generally I, how it happens, right? <laughs> man, they they blew out of this tree, and there was what? There was at least eight capricali, and then there was at least five black grouse in there too. Two broods had like got pinched together by the dog, and they it was like Jake turkeys coming out of the tree, just like flying over our heads. Yeah, it was pretty cool actually. And I was, st- I, I couldn't film. I was just taking pictures and I couldn't, uh, I was so stupid I couldn't uh, film. It's pretty crazy. The black grouse, we haven't spoken about them very much at all. I know Miguel, me and you spoke a little bit about them a, a couple months ago when we t- talked about them. Kind of, tell me more about that bird because that is a gorgeous freaking bird when you look it up i mean they they are they just look awesome to me so but it it seemed like it wasn't really your favorite bird to chase you know correct me if i'm wrong or if that's unfair to say uh but you know it seemed like you're like yeah we pass by them on the way to go to get the Capricali or on the way to go get Woodcock or something like that. Kind of break down the black grouse for us. Oh, no. I love those birds. Uh, together with Woodcock, those are my favorites. Um, so it's like, no, no, I, I, I would chase predominant. I would say if I could, I go just for black grouse. And if I go, if I cross uh, Capricali, uh, that's a bonus, you know. Otherwise, I just go for the the big male capercaillie, and that's a totally different approach. And that's uh, it's like almost like expedition. But black grouse definitely is my my. When I go to the mountains, the north of Sweden, that's my goal. Um, I think they are much more fun hunting because they are much more uh, unpredictable in some way. Uh, they are more common, uh, and that can be a mistake sometimes saying that they are more easy. I don't think they are easier. I think they are very very 
big walkers, they're runners, they run a lot. They are much more agile on the ground, they trick more the dog, and they flush much faster. You know, once you flush a Copper Kelly, it's not a difficult shot. Uh, but Copper Kelly, uh, Black Grouse can be much faster and much more um, much more fun is much more challenge in my opinion they can they can also flush to the tree and then be an easy situation you know and they are they it's very very unpredictable with the black grouse also and i think they their meat is the best also i, I was gonna ask that here in a little bit compare compare all the meat especially again back to the capricali i'm, I'm very curious uh, how the meat quality is on that and how you prepare that just being such a ginormous bird. Uh, but the black grouse, Kevin, like it sounds like that, you know, obviously it's, it's still different habitat, different cover, but it sounds like maybe they flush and run and act a little bit more typical of what we would expect from a roughie. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they definitely, their, their flight speed was more similar to a rough grouse where when the Capricali got up, it was like a turkey. Um, so definitely, uh, Capricali were definitely, as far as I could tell, um, were an easier bird to shoot, like uh, on the wing, than the uh, black grouse. Uh, arguably, the um, you know the big male Capricali are like harder to track, harder to pin down, harder to, to get to the point where you are going to have a shot. But once you were there on the the Capricali, it was it was an easier shot than the black grouse, is what I would say. Yeah, giant giant beach ball getting up in the middle of uh, the woods compared to you know I don't know a small football darting through the woods. I'd I'd say that mm-hmm. I'm I'm again I'm trying to relate it to something I know. So I'm picturing a sage grouse getting in the middle of a mature pine forest, and I'd probably rather shoot shoot at that than a than a rough grouse. You know, shooting through all those trees, and they're really good at putting mm-hmm. uh, trees in between us and them. I'm assuming black grouse. It sounds like they're uh, pretty evasive, very similarly. Mm-hmm. And and I know I said it was like it's not rough grouse habitat, so you're not talking about like like massive stem density, but it's definitely not like an old because because when you think old growth, even in like Tennessee or Pennsylvania, you're thinking like you know tall trees that all the leaves and branches are up high. I mean, this is old growth, but it's all spruce and pine, so it's like it's still dense. It's just not stem dense. It's like, okay. Cause the, cause the branches go all the way down to the ground. That, so it's, that makes it's a little like, more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely still thick cover. It's just, you're not, you're not, it's easier to navigate than rough grouse habitat. And I mean, you could, a bird could flush on another side of one of these huge, I mean, the branches at the base could be, you know, 20 feet apart. So it's like, it's like a huge, I'm trying to, figure out how to describe this but it's it's like a big spruce tree but they're just tons of them yeah um so it's easier to navigate easier to walk around but if you're on the wrong side of a tree you know in rough grouse habitat you're like looking for little open objectives as you're going in to shoot and it's kind of a similar thing there but the problem is you know the to get around something can take longer because it's a massive tree uh with a bunch of branches all the way down to the ground you definitely need to think about position there also. You need to, and, and that's the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges also when the dog is on point, you really need to think where to go because it's it's still dense. It's still a lot of trees on the way uh, and thick and, 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 and large trees. So you need to, you need to think about position otherwise because we saw many birds, most of them we couldn't shot. So give me a little bit more on the dog work. You mentioned earlier that, you need a cautionary dog. It sounds like you need a dog that can work a work a track, know when to pull up and stuff like that. But is it, you know, 
range. At what, what are we talking about with the range of Chica? Uh, is she kind of more of a, a, of a rough grouse dog, you know, you know, not very far off in the woods adjusting to cover, or do they work a little bit further away and you trust it, you know, like you said, being as cautious as you, as you need or require from them? In the forest, I like a dog that goes like 40, 50 meters away. I don't know much is that's in yards. I don't know if you use two meters. But four, you could say 50, 50, 60 yards and you'd be close. Okay. Yeah. And because, it's, as I said, it's, it's a lot of things happen. And it's a mountain and this kind of forest that you it takes a lot to walk. It takes a double time because you really, every step counts double and that's in that ground. You don't want a dog that range a lot. And a good dog there wouldn't range a lot because I have a good dog, a dog that understands the area that has to cover and understand that birds will not cover a lot. Uh, Shika, for example, in open field would range much the double, you know, as not, as every dog do that. But she, the dog understands the terrain. The dog understands how to... And if she is missing birds for a while, he's not finding birds, she will range a bit more. But I like her range, uh, as I said, 40, 50 meters. Uh, that gives you time to reach quick on the point because these birds can be very fast uh, on running and on flushing. And uh, deep forest, I like that. Uh, you can have a dog that range more, but you need to walk more if she gets on point. And that can be pretty uh, long walk there. And of course, you, don't, you, you, you could also work with a dog that range nothing, but that's also boring. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's a lot for preference. I like a dog that is a medium range, smart dog that range according to terrain and, and finds you birds and puts you in a birding situation without you... Well, you have to struggle in much uh, walking or flush birds yourself. It's shot size. What what are we shooting over there? Are we shooting the same thing as we would over here at these birds, or are you changing shot size and chokes depending on if you're going after Capricale versus black grouse? Because it is a bigger bird, but I don't know if it's that much hardier, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I use uh, shot f- five or six. Uh, I think US. I think mm-hmm. it's the same you have there, right? Same Same mm-hmm. unit. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people use four for big males, Capricale, but that is less probable to find where I hunt. So I use more a little bit small, small, um, small shot too because it's not far shooting. So you fight, you shoot a bird maybe 15, 20 meters, and you want the you want the birds for the meat also. So um, yeah, six, five. Depends. Uh, if I if I if I think I'm gonna get more in Capricale, I might go for uh, five, but uh, yeah, six five. So the willow grouse or willow ptarmigan, um, you said that you guys got into them in the same day as the black grouse and the Capricale. Is that typical? And are do they just really overlap in the same cover and habitat to where you can get into them pretty consistently on the same days? We just had a great dog. Okay, <laughs> chalk it up to the no. dog. <laughs> no, it's not common. You know, it's not. It's not common. Um, we we did a very good job on checking the terrain. We were lucky. Also, we had the, this nice uh, terrain where we could have chances to find uh, these birds. That's it. Uh, it can happen anywhere in the mountains in those areas in the north of Sweden. This can happen more or less, but it's not common. Um, and the thing is like, yeah, I wanted to give to the opportunity 
to also um, Kevin and see some some different birds. So I went more to this uh, this terrain also. Um, but yeah, it can it can happen. It can happen definitely. If we go for, but if I would go for willow grouse, I would definitely not go to these areas. But uh, I knew there was the chance to find willow grouse, and we found the first day two nice coveys actually, very very nice coveys actually. Um, we got some sweet footage of that covey. Again? I said we had some sweet footage of that covey. Yeah, yeah. We followed mm -hmm. up on Chicon Point right on the edge of uh, one of the swamps, and they just like piled up right in front of her. Yeah. And the other covey, they were just in the woods. You know, it was pretty deep, pretty dense um, bush there. Mm. Um, so they they were using different terrain there. It's a, it's all about altitude also. Like willow grouse is more about altitude. Uh, they are comfortable on the open marshes and also in the kind of deep forest close yeah. to water. And, and Kevin, earlier when you were talking about the bogs or or the marsh, uh, you said that you're you're envisioning it. It looked like Alaska. So I'm assuming you haven't been to Alaska and been, you can't. Really I have not. Okay, so you can't compare the ptarmigan. Uh, to both of them. What about the hazel grouse? I, I didn't hear it. Did y'all get into those as well while you're you're up there? No, no, because that bird, um, you know, there's not many people in Sweden uh, that goes for hazel grouse. That is the deck, the bonus bird that you find a hazel grouse. You, you might be shot one, but I have, uh, I don't remember. I have seen one actually. They are very, very difficult to see. They, they believe. They, I think they, 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 um, they behave more like uh, your forest grouses that are much more tree birds. Uh, so but the dogs don't even get much chance of points them in the ground. It's very rare, from what I heard from from most of the hunters there. Um, so sometimes they 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 can point them in the trees in like one meter high or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's a bonus bird. It's a very small bird, a very pretty bird. Um, but this, there's no people going for hazel grouse, so far as I know. Uh, Miguel, uh, you should uh, tell them about the uh, interesting way that they do hunt them in yeah. uh, Finland, is it? Yeah, well, Finland and also in uh, Sweden, uh, in Norway, they used um, like a call. Uh, and they call them, and they are pretty dumb birds. They come, they come on almost like two, like what do you say? Five, six, seven, eight feet from uh, far away from you, and this—it's that bird that most of the young people, the kids, the teenagers shot first because they do with a whistle, the with a call and bring them and call them in, and they they yeah they they get very close to you. Awesome. So so they actually have hazel grouse calls, or do, I'm assuming is it something that they make, or will they just kind of fall for any whistle like some dumb birds? Uh, yeah, they, uh, they 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 do also. I heard that they go for any whistle, but they have special ones. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a there was a pretty cool video online. It's a pretty cool sound that you know that they come into. Yeah. Um, it's pretty neat. To that see. sounds like fun. Do they do they mess with decoys at all, or is it just calling? I, I'm I'm kind of curious. You you piqued my interest on this. Like, how similar to duck hunting is this? <laughs> No, but you know what? Black grouse, they use decoys also in the end. You know, black grouse, when the, the leaves start falling, um, you don't hunt them with pointing dogs because they there they are difficult dogs to, to hold points. They really, really tough. I'm going to do that now in the end of November when I come back from Portugal. I'm going to go for the same area, Kevin, where we were, more or less, 
and I'm going to try to chase him, but it's going to be almost really winter there, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, from this time of the year, they start in the north of Sweden use decoys because the males, especially the males, they become flock birds, and you can see like uh, really like some dozens of birds together, black, especially males uh, in flocks, um, because they change the the, the feeding um, the food source from late summer to autumn. So during the summer and late summer, they feed specially on uh, berries, blackberry, lingonberry, and some buds also, and some leaves. Uh, and then as the winter becomes, uh, gets closer, they start to feed from, um, I think we call buds, right? From the trees that is called um, bark. What's the name of the trees in English? Bark Beach. Tree. Beach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's birch or birch? What do you say? Birch. There it's two, but it's probably birch. Yeah. Uh, okay. It would probably be birch. Yeah, birch. Yeah. So they feed on those, on those uh, trees during winter and they move around trying to find in groups and flocks to find those, those, those trees, that, those, those um, spots they already know. And there is people using some decoys and they get actually quite attracted by those. They put on the ground, on the trees like um, looking like a male, white and, and, and black. And they don't need to be very, very nice decoys. They can, can be just like plastic black with some mar white marks. Uh, and they get, uh, they get quite, quite a lot of birds like that, actually. Wow. It's fun. That's fascinating. It, you're, you're talking about, obviously, a, a lot of similarities here, you know, throughout the season, food sources change, you know, whether leaves are up or down, it can kind of change how you hunt them the difficulty, the availability, all that stuff is very similar. Clearly we're, we're all hunting birds here. Uh, but you're talking about not a whole lot of people target the hazel grouse or, or talk to me about the, just the hunting culture in general over there and how it's, how it kind of compares, you know, do you have a lot of upland hunters? Do you have a lot of people hunting with dogs? And so like, what kind of breeds are they working with? Like how it just, just kind of break that down for me if you can. Sure. Um, yes. The, the biggest thing in Sweden or North, the North, especially in Sweden is big game hunting. They are crazy about, uh, moose hunting, uh, and all the, um, the other deer hunting species. So that's the biggest thing. So upland hunters, uh, people that hunt with pointing dogs, they, there's a few community, there's a community, but it's not so big. I, I, I know most of the people is like, uh, it's, it's, it's not a huge community, but there is people. Um, and the culture is actually that people during the summer and of the summer go to the mountains in the mountains, we're talking about the from the center of Sweden and from the south to the center of Sweden, it can take maybe 10 hours driving. And from there starts the mountains on the west side, close to Norway, the boundary, the, what they call the um, border, the border to, to Norway, to the Arctic Circle, to the north is the mountains. And people go to these areas, the people with pointing dogs to chase the wild birds. In the south of Sweden center, there is um, pain raised or even not pain, but the populations that say descend from, from pain raised birds, from pheasants and, and gray partridge, um, the Hungarian partridge that you have there. Um, and I train on those dogs, on those birds, uh, 
but I prefer the wild birds. Like go to this. So I start my season, and most of the people with pointing dogs do the same. They start the season with a willow grouse, especially willow grouse, especially grouse. It's a very huge community of people and tradition that people go to the mountains, the tops, to hunt willow grouse. And there you go to areas where there's no forest. It's just like tundra habitats. It's like low vegetation. And um, they are easy birds. They are much easier than the, than the forest birds. I like more the forest birds because of the challenge. But the tradition is people go to the willow grouse in the summer, uh, the Swedish uh, upland hunters. And then uh, during the rest of the season, it's mostly um, those that are from the south is field trials, uh, pheasant and partridge hunting, and so on. Woodcock hunting is very, very rare. They don't know about woodcock. It's so every time I try to reach a, uh, a, a, a property or uh, owner of a property, checking if I can, I can hunt there or something, I say, I'd like to find well, hunt woodcock here. It's like, we don't have woodcock. It's like, yeah, yeah you definitely have. You know? <laughs> they have tons of those, you know, tons in, during the migration. It's, it's um, yeah. So there's a uh, culture, but it's not huge. And it's definitely not as big as in Norway. In Norway, it's a lot of upland uh, uh, hunters. Dog breeds, they have a lot of British breeds. Pointers, English pointers, and Irish setters. Uh, sorry, English setters. Uh, and there is a lot of German breeds. And that's the people that hunts both uh, birds and, 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 and also do a lot of trekking with big hunting. Um, and there's some mi minorities there also, of course, but especially uh, English setters, English pointer for the for the um, forest and the for the mountains for the willow grouse, and then people that get especially uh, gem. I would say uh, the smooth, the short hair, and the wild hair, uh, German pointers, especially mostly. That's awesome. So, I mean, it sounds like you have plenty of opportunities. Sounds like you have enough people uh, there to keep a healthy culture of it and, and enough people interested in it. So hopefully, you know, there's uh, there's no conservation issues, you know, coming down the road for, for them. Hopefully that they stay on true. Kevin, I'm interested in, you know, you hear a lot about some European countries being difficult to get permission or, or license to hunt or anything like that. What was it like for you to be allowed to hunt over there? Is it kind of like us? Do they just sell hunting licenses over the counter or did you have to do special like regulations or classes almost for it? So I had to, I had a, a mentored permit basically, and uh, I had to use, I couldn't bring my own gun and I had to use uh, Miguel's and I had to be a meter away from him, I believe. Right, Miguel? That was the regulation. Yeah, yeah we used that one because uh, you can hunt um, with a mentor uh, a meter away from you. And we did that. Uh, we just need to pay, and I paid um, uh, the national license. That's the only thing that a uh, hunter from abroad needs to do. So you want to come and hunt in Sweden. Um, I'm, uh, I'm inviting you. I pay your um, yearly uh, license. Uh, that is the same price, I guess, that is from me. I think it is the same price, yeah. And then you can hunt anywhere, anywhere, as, lo as long as the, the owner of the land allows. Uh, according, the, 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 um, you cannot, uh, this is for birds, the shotgun, I mean. With the rifle, I don't know. I don't know the legislation because you might need to show um, yeah, but for bird hunting, for, sh for, for, for shot, uh, shotgun, 
that's how it works. But then the th the situation here, it's uh, when you hunt in public land, the people from abroad abroad uh, can only hunt from the um, 16 or 25. I'm not sure now of September, and that's our that's was our case. We went to public land, also a little bit of uh, private uh, land. And uh, forest private land, so there's like a company that's uh, a log company, how you call it, right? And then you, can, you, you buy, yeah, you buy a daily card there, and uh, yeah, and then we use the mentor thing. You can hunt with my gun a meter away from me, and that's what that's uh, what Kevin did for for a, a few times. All right, so that's that's interesting. So you, then, so foreigners or Americans, whoever, can actually go there and you know find a way to hunt if if they really so choose so so uh, that's kind of what i was after i know some people they'll go to uh, certain countries and i i, I don't even want to mention the ones I, I can't remember all of them that you know it's like a year-long course almost to get certified to go hunt and uh so yeah that that's interesting uh kevin did you get to eat the Capricali grouse? Did you get to try that? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I need to know what did these birds taste like? How were they prepared? How's it compared to us? Like white meat versus red meat? You know, g give me the breakdown. Man, so I, I would say every bird was a was a little bit different. Um, so we got to try the willow grouse, the black grouse, and the Capricali. Um, the first day was willow grouse, and I said, wow, Miguel, this is really good. He said, just wait till we eat black grouse. I said, <laughs> okay, I enjoyed this. The next day we had Capricali. I was like, wow, Miguel, this is really good. And he goes, just wait till we have black grouse. <laughs> and then on the last day when he shot a black grouse, we ate that. And I, it was, it was true. It was definitely the best of the, all three of them. Um, but we, we cooked them a bunch of different ways. We did, uh, what did we do? Did we do some sort of fajita with uh, willow grouse? We did like fajita with peppers and cheese. Um, and it was all, I guess, technically white meat, but it was like a very dark color. It wasn't like, you know, like a woodcock breast mm -hmm. or a dove breast or a duck breast or like truly red meat. And I wouldn't say any of them were truly red, but they were dark white meat, okay. like, like a turkey almost, you know how that's, that's a lot darker than like rough grouse. Right. Meat. Um, so a similar, similar thing to that. Um, so we did the fajitas with them and then the, the best was def or we did it. What do we do with pasta one night? And then the best is how Miguel prepared them. He did it with uh, chanterelle mushrooms and like a cream sauce. Um, over, I think it was over rice and that was, that was definitely my favorite, man. We were, we were living uh, high on the hog over there <laughs> at our, uh, at our impromptu grouse camp. Yeah. You, we mostly, most of the, the traditionally people in Sweden and I do the same most of the time, you just uh, use the breasts also. Uh, Kevin, uh, I'm not going to say forced me, but he advised me to use the legs. So I, I, I kept a couple of legs. I still have them in the in the freezer to use. You just gotta uh, cook those low and slow, low yeah, and slow on the legs. <laughs> now, now, Miguel. In all fairness, if I was there, I'm the type of guys like I keep all my legs on my birds as well. Uh, unless they're shot up, I prefer to pluck mine every time. Do y'all mess mess around with plucking them at all? You just said that you breast them. Y'all don't pluck them at all over there. Yeah, I don't have much time now. I have two kids, so it's very. I really like. I just do the easiest no. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like woodcock, I like to like and I like to prepare the bird in the oven uh, and so on, or doing the broth. I say a broth. Uh, Royal. Yeah. Uh, but with uh, usually with capricale and these forest birds, that's also the situation because usually I'm in the mountains, you know, and it's uh, it's the easiest thing to do there. When I shot them close to home, because I also have some grounds 
pretty close to me that I can shot um, Gabrikeli and Black Krause, and then I, I can pluck them. But I haven't yet done actually plucked the, those, but I'll definitely will. But wood, Woodcock, I do. Well, guys, I mean, what are we missing? Am I missing anything, or did we pretty much cover all the basics on this? Because I've really kind of enjoyed going abroad on this episode and just learning about birds that I've, I know next to nothing about. I mean, we know a little bit about the willows, uh, but as far as the other stuff, you know, it's I love enjoying or I enjoy uh, learning about new birds and, and how people do things different across the globe. So uh, is there anything else that you guys think that we should ask or that uh, that we forgot? I think I think it's nice to mention that the birds, the, the huge capricalis that we shot were around like uh what was it actually um do you remember kevin they were they i'm trying to remember i know they were they ended up being like Freak eight kilos. pounds i think so was I'm trying to see. are you saying 20. weight yeah yeah so they were like 3.6 does that sound right yeah it can be but i think they were not uh, even that i think we're, not even yeah, that big yeah i would say around three kilo and the birds, the big, the big males, the solitary males, they are the double. So they were big, but they can be huge, you know. Yeah. So Kevin's yeah. big. Bird. So like the ones we shot were probably around six, seven pounds, um, but they could get up to like 12, 12 to 15, I think it is, which is just crazy to think about for a bird that you're shooting on the wing with a pointing <laughs> dog. I yeah. think I read the heaviest one that they counted was 16 pounds. I read that somewhere while I was kind of looking at it. And obviously the average doesn't get that big. I, but Kevin, what I read was like 12 to 15 pounds is on the upper end. But I think it was like 16 and a half pounds was the heaviest one ever recorded. Can you imagine shooting a 16-pound bird over a pointing dog? It's pretty nuts. They can be quick. You think, you can, you think they are slow birds. I have flushed a couple of big ones. And last year, last year actually, I shot um, five four point eight kilo, which is already a very, 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 very good size. And they are done them fast. People can think they're like turkeys. I don't. I've never hunted turkeys. I don't know, but <laughs> but they are, and they flush always. They always flush in an area or a place that's these experienced and huge males. They most of the times flush. In a way that you don't have much time to shoot they they flush when they know they have a, a safe way out uh, so all these uh, times i had uh, i saw them as like really really fast uh, tricky flushes also so that's the thing that they are easy to if you find them in open space they're easy but that's very rare very rare so that's the challenge with them and you you find these birds the big males you need to go for it you know like we go explore this area here that there and you find uh, some uh, tricks and tracks there and you see okay now i'm in the right place and i'm gonna stick here and try to find this male and um yeah that's like a mission you need to go for it well uh, when you go for a mixed bag you just yeah you go for the forest these habitats are more or less like that that you think is it's you can find birds um but these different approaches because these these big men are really tricky really 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 tricky that i think from all those species the species we mentioned all the varieties they are 
the trickiest ones. So Miguel, as we as we kind of wrap this up, I'll I'll of course link your uh, social media profiles and Instagram and stuff on on our posts and everything. Is there anything else that you want to plug or tell people where they can find you and kind of follow along with some of your adventures? Instagram, yeah, Instagram is cool. I I update it uh, as much as I can, sometimes more. Than- but uh, yeah, Instagram is cool. Uh, I'll have that linked in the show notes and on our social media posts. And Kevin, go ahead and tell everybody, plug your stuff where they can all find it. I'm sure a lot of people know where where to find Project Upland. But just in case there's somebody new that's not familiar with it, kind of send them in the right direction. Yeah. So if you haven't already, uh, check out Project Upland's Instagram and then also their YouTube. Um, this one will probably not come out till uh, till into the new year, probably uh probably this time next year or something like that. So we, we have about a year cycle on them. Um, but yeah, just keep an eye out, subscribe to the YouTube and check out, check out our stuff that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, I appreciate both of y'all's times coming here, Miguel. I hope to get over there and meet you in person one day and, and chase these crazy birds. And of course, you know, Kevin, it sounds like we need to get him over here and, uh, you know, introduce him to some of the rough grouse and woodcock over here. Oh Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So we've already talked about it. It's going to happen. <laughs> two to three years, two to three years. It's going to happen. Yeah. Well, you let me know where Kevin, I'll, I'll meet you there and uh, tag along. <laughs> Sounds great. Anytime also very, very welcome here. Yep. Just so you know. Well guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, kind of sharing your story uh, and kind of spoiler alert on the, on the video coming out. So everybody be on the lookout for this uh, sometime next year and uh, we'll check back next week. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miguel and Kevin. I thought it was really interesting to get out of uh, the the normal species that we typically talk about here because that's what we hunt over here, uh, here in America in the States. But I I came across, uh, I can't remember if it was a social media picture or magazine picture, whatever, it doesn't really matter, of the Capricali grouse uh, a few years ago. And ever since then, it's kind of, it's really captured my imagination, just kind of really similar to what I've spoken here recently about on the sage grouse, just it's it's hard to ima- for me to imagine such a big bird. And, and now that I've held a sage grouse in my hands and, and kind of gotten to really compare that, just how how much bigger they are to the sharp-tail grouse and, and all these other birds, uh, it, it got me curious. I wanted to know more about them and the fact that you hunt them in mature pine forests as opposed to young, dense, early successional forests that's really interesting to me. The fact that you can still hunt these giant turkeys with pointing dogs, that really interests me. Um, I did, after stopping the recording with with those guys, I had to go back and look up the actual uh, size and and statistics on on these birds. And according to Wikipedia, I could have found a better source, but I was in a hurry. I just wanted to grab the numbers real quick. So according to Wikipedia... uh, the largest Capricali grouse ever recorded was 15 pounds, 14 ounces. Now, that bird was in captivity. So I went looking for the wild bird statistics. And apparently they did a study 
with 75 birds and the they recorded that the range was seven pounds 15 ounces all the way through 11 pounds two ounces for wild birds that's for an average of nine pounds one ounce now now just to contrast that the sage grouse averages between four and seven pounds so where the sage grouse the the upper side of that statistic in that range that is just where the capricali is starting on their average and, and that's that's a big freaking bird and so a, another way of looking at it is the capricali grouse ranges from 29 to 33 inches in length kind of compare that to your gun barrel right you know 32 36 inch barrel whatever um your sage grouse goes from 26 to 30 inches so it's just it's hard for me to imagine after hunting and seeing these sage grouse in flight what it would be like being overseas and hunting these crazy looking birds and seeing them take flight uh that's that's something that's definitely on the bucket list whether it'll ever happen or not uh you know who knows but i think that would be freaking cool but I don't know. You guys let me know. You you let me know if this you know piqued your interest, if, if you're interested in birds from, from overseas or something like that, because I, I thought it was kind of neat to just take a step foot out and talk about something we haven't talked about in a while. But uh, yeah, with that being said, I'm not going to keep everybody here too much longer. I am headed to the Northwoods this week. I'm going to go meet up with uh, my buddy Nick Larson at the Bird Shop Podcast, and uh, we're going to hunt together with the, uh, the Southern Outdoor Jacob and Andrew, they're going to go up there for their first grouse trip. Uh, speaking of Larson, we do have the new Patreon uh, BSing with GDIY session up there. If you're a Patreon member, we have we do a monthly bonus episode. Uh, so just kind of me and Larson get a chance to, you know, just BS, catch up, talk birds, talk dogs, whatever else kind of pops up in there that we don't normally get to talk about ourselves or, or just anything going on whatever we want to talk about it's it's up for grabs so uh check that out if you're interested in that and you want to hear some more uh conversation beyond that the normal stuff follow us on social media uh under gundog yourself if you have any questions ideas topics uh concerns what whatever whatever it is shoot me an email at gundog yourself at gmail.com i've uh, been getting a lot of really good uh just feedback from people and suggestions from people here lately not even on podcasts just feedback from episodes you know uh you know couple, uh, i had a listener shoot me some uh articles based on some of the things that have been said in previous episodes uh corrections it, it's i love it give me uh you know feedback if you want to reach out reach out uh if if you don't want to do any of that leaving us a rating and review it goes a long way just five stars tell us what you like uh about the podcast we really appreciate it and um yeah with that being said share it with a friend and we'll be uh we'll be back next week with another and fun exciting episode of gun dog it yourself Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. 
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.